Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, one of our substitute teaching leaders, Caitlin Meyer, will be discussing Genesis chapters 39 and 40. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, and join Caitlin as she shares truths from God's Word. All right, welcome. Welcome back to BSF. I'm Caitlin, one of our substitute teaching leaders, and it really is a pleasure for me to get to unfold more of Joseph's story with you guys this week. But before we do, let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving this word and particularly for preserving this account of Joseph's life and every detail that you've given us that we might see your glory, that we might see your hand over all things and to see that that even includes our suffering and the things that are the hardest for us to see and know your ways. And so I pray for your people as they hear and study your word. I pray that you would Grant each one um, a piece of your truth that would comfort them, that would provide them strength as they continue to face whatever trials or suffering they might be in right now. Thank you for being God with us. Thank you for remembering us. And thank you for drawing near to us even in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we get ready to dive back in, um, Genesis chapters 39 and 40, here's a question for you. Has your world ever turned completely upside down, seemingly overnight? I think this year more than ever, most of us can give a universal yes to that question because we're all um, reflecting on the events that happened even just last year at this time. And I'm thinking about it, it usually seems that progress and improvement is kind of this really slow, subtle gain, and then hardships seem to come and just crash with sudden chaos And then they escalate in this indefinite time period, leaving us scrambling to process and just trying to figure out what is our solid ground. Now, Joseph's story in these chapters is also a roller coaster of very slow ascents and then plummeting challenges and then prolonged suffering. And I think a lot of the questions of his story that come up in his story that we wrestle with, we tend to ask in our own stories. For instance, how did he endure all of this without being crushed by bitterness or despair? How do we understand God's powerful hand at work behind such prolonged, enduring trials? How did Joseph remain so faithful, so fruitful, even as more and more was stripped away from him? Would I have the courage to have the faith to keep trusting God in such hardships like these? And can I trust him in the suffering that I'm facing or that I'm fearing right now? What God grants us in these chapters, it definitely doesn't read like a memoir of Joseph's personal faith journey through suffering. Instead, it's kind of like the narrator takes us out of the trenches of personal turmoil and gives us this like 5,000 foot view, almost a behind the curtains look at how God, the creator, the sustainer of all things, a faithful, promise-making God, 
is both ultimately in control of every detail that must feel incredibly chaotic to Joseph, but also how God is intimately committed to bringing about his plans, his purposes, and his promises, how he's sustaining Joseph through every difficult day. And while this clearly doesn't clear up every wrestle that we have about God's allowance and working through suffering, it is a gift to us. In Joseph's story, we see this banner of truth that's raised over his life and over ours. The Lord is with us in every hardship, in every season, in every rise and fall of our circumstances. That one truth remains the Lord is with us. And he doesn't insulate us from suffering in this life, but in this passage we see that his presence, his purposes, and his promises do reign even in our suffering. So we're going to trace that truth through two divisions. The first is Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 19. And there we're going to see the Lord who is with Joseph as a slave. Our second division is Genesis 39, verses 20 through all of chapter 40, where we'll see the Lord who is with Joseph as a prisoner. So, getting into chapter 39, we left off on kind of a cliffhanger back in 37. And one day, Joseph went from a favored son, overseeing his ten brothers, then to being cruelly sold by them to traitors, who then sold Joseph as property to... Potiphar, who's in Egypt. As we open chapter 39, it's highlighted that Potiphar is just not just any random Egyptian. He's the captain of the guard. He's a high official of Pharaoh himself. Now, from our vantage point as the readers, we could look at every single detail that's included in this passage and know it's placed there to show us a reality that's far above Joseph's current awareness. While Joseph's being passed off as property, the highest authority in the universe, God himself, is intricately orchestrating Joseph's path for his own saving purposes. Now, with this kind of bleak opening in chapter 39, what sort of story do you expect is coming? I think if we were down in the trenches with Joseph, we might expect a very woeful account of bitterness or just crushing distress at all this betrayal and the indefinite loss that Joseph's facing. But our expectations are really defied as we look at verses 1 through 6. There's almost this tone of triumph. Right off the bat, in verse 2, we find our anchoring truth for this passage. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Joseph becomes in charge of Potiphar's household and the blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had. Did you notice how we see the Lord's personal name mentioned five times in just these six verses? In Hebrew, this word is pronounced like Yahweh, and it's built on the word for I am. It's the name that God gave to Moses back in, er, forward in Exodus 3. He says, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. 
So whenever we do see that capital L-O-R-D, we should think of it as the personal name for God. Who is this Lord? He's the one who makes and keeps covenant promises with his chosen people. He's the one who promised to Abraham and to all his descendants, all the way down to Joseph now, saying, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, Joseph, as a slave in an Egyptian household, seems like a very painful and unlikely setting for God's promised blessing. Yet his presence with Joseph shines forth in undeniable ways into blessing that even Potiphar can't help but recognize. As we see his transition into this new state, I think it's really uncomfortable for us to see how transient our statuses in life really can be. We tend to base so much of our identity on our current roles and our current relationships. Here, Joseph goes from favored son to a slave. Dramatic change in almost an instant. But for Joseph, and for believers in Christ, we have one overarching reality that will remain constant in every single change. The Lord is with me. And as we walk through this life, we will find that Christ's spiritual blessings and the strengthening comfort of His Spirit will follow us into even our heaviest moments. So now as we move into verse 6, we're going to see a whole new degree of trial that's entering Joseph's daily life. Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph's handsome appearance, and she is filled with lust, demanding Joseph comes to bed with her. Though he refuses to sleep with her or even be with her, she relentlessly pursues him day after day. So finally, one day, while he's attending to his work, she literally catches him alone in the house, grabs his cloak, and demands that he come to bed with her. But he left the cloak in her hand and ran out. Once again, we're not brought down into the trenches with Joseph to know his inner turmoil when he's facing this ongoing suffering and temptation. But his faithful resistance to this intensifying sexual temptation is really exceptional among biblical characters. And it does cause us to marvel, what is the key to his faithful integrity under such pressure? But before we start pulling out some practicalities of his example, remember the central reality that informs every piece of Joseph's struggle. The Lord is with him. The Lord caused all that he did to succeed. As fellow human beings who know the fierceness of the battle with temptation, We would be remiss if we thought the primary source of Joseph's victory here, or ours, would come from some form of great willpower, or some great behavior modification plan, or the right spiritual discipline formula. Yes, God will likely use some of these tools for our good and our growth, but we have to stay anchored in this truth first and foremost. The battle with temptation is only won in the Lord's presence— by the Lord's power, and for the Lord's glory. We need this reminder over and over because it's those moments of temptation to sin that we might feel the most isolated from His presence, either from us willfully trying to withdraw out of this desire for autonomy, or maybe our instinct to hide from His presence out of shame for the ongoing sin we see within. So that's why we need that anchoring truth that the Lord is with us, And in these spaces, he commands us to submit ourselves to him, to resist the devil, to draw near to him, draw near to him, especially in our darkest moments, because only his presence 
will grant us the power we need to flee. Now, Joseph's bold refusal found in verse 9, it does show us that his awareness of the Lord with him is indeed empowering his response. Look at what he says. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph is living in this awareness of God's presence with him. And as he does, he's growing an understanding of his holiness. As we grow in our knowledge of God, we increasingly start to understand that our sins are not only an offense to whoever we might wrong, but they are actually primarily an act of rebellion, an offense against the God who grants us life with which to enjoy and glorify Him alone. Finally, when temptation literally tried to grip Joseph, we see his instincts are so informed by what he knows of God's presence and holiness that he flees. He doesn't slow down to consider the cost of this decision or to see if he could figure out a middle compromise to take. Nothing was more important to him in that moment than getting out of sin's clutches. Friends, I don't know about you, but my track record with resisting and fleeing temptation does not look that much like Joseph's. It has been filled with a lot more of downplaying sin or falling or wrestling guilt. But as God's spirit wages war with my flesh, he even uses this battle to show me again and again, I cannot depend on my own strength. And then he even draws me into greater awe at the depths of his mercy in the blood of Christ that would cleanse me and restore me to the Father. So even in the places where you're continuing to wrestle temptation, what evidence can you see of His good work in you already? Even the ability to acknowledge that sin grieves the Lord, that sin is what it is, even the desire to resist temptation, all of that is a victory of the Holy Spirit in you. Potiphar's wife wanted to use him for her selfish means, and then when she couldn't, she wanted to destroy him. She used his cloak to frame him, to claim to the household, and then to her husband that he'd attempted to rape her. But what remains constant for Joseph in these really jarring hills and valleys is what remains constant for us. The Lord is with him, and the Lord's purposes will prevail. So I think a principle that we can hold on to from this chapter is that God's people can know that the Lord, Yahweh, is with us even in our suffering. There is so much that our hearts and minds cannot grasp about the suffering we encounter. From his word, we do know a few things for very certain. We know that suffering was not part of our God's creation of the world, We know that it originated with Satan's temptation and the subsequent fall of Adam and Eve into rebellion and sin. We do know that suffering can be used by God as part of his discipline, his purifying of his people, his refining of our faith. It can originate from Satan. It can originate from our sinful actions and choices. It can be a consequence of life in a broken world. As we see with Joseph's story, not all suffering is a direct result of a specific sin, but we do know that all suffering is within God's sovereign control 
and is incorporated by him into his ultimate purposes for good. I think a gift that God has given us in this account is that we can know from Joseph's story what can be extremely difficult to feel within the chaos of our own suffering. We can know there is no depth of suffering that can separate us from the Lord's presence, from the Lord's power, from the Lord's purposes. How has God worked in a season of suffering to help you to cling to His unchanging presence and promises? He hears our prayers even when we most struggle to feel or understand His nearness. Where do you need help from your BSF group or your church family to come alongside you to pray for His promises and His strength to uphold you? So, as we move into our second division, seeing how the Lord is with Joseph as a prisoner, we kind of hold our breath as we begin to go on in verse 19, and we see that Potiphar is filled with anger at his wife's accusation against Joseph. At that time, it would have been very common for a master to kill a slave who had been accused of such attempted rape of his wife. But in God's providence, Joseph was not only spared from death, but he was specifically placed in the prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So far, we've seen one injustice after another, and at this point, it really does sound like Joseph's life is mainly a tragedy defined by ruthless actions of vengeful, deceitful humans. I really can't imagine my own self in those shoes. I would think probably apathy at best would fill me, at worst, being consumed with bitterness or hopelessness. And yet, once again, this narrative, it doesn't take us down into the trenches to see how Joseph coped with another wave of crushing loss. Instead, the narrator keeps lifting us up to see that stunning truth that hangs over the entirety of Joseph's complex life. Look at verse 21. It's beautiful. It starts, And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph didn't have the benefit of a narrator proclaiming this reality over his circumstance. We're not told how the Lord worked to comfort and shape him in the inevitable emotions or wrestling that he went through. But we do know that the Lord continued to reveal his presence and his blessing with Joseph by once again elevating Joseph by favor in the eyes of his human authorities, and giving him the highest possible position for a prisoner. His brothers were determined to put an end to Joseph's dreams of elevated status. Potiphar's wife was determined to destroy him for his integrity. But none of these plans could prevail. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and was committed to him in steadfast love. So, Here we are being led through Joseph's story to hold two seemingly contradictory realities in hand at once. We do face staggering trials in all forms in this broken world. And at the same time, we see and know that the Lord is with us, that he is committed to us in steadfast love. I think the tension between these two things just can bring so much wrestling and questions and painful emotions. 
But God has preserved his word for us. And I think this account in particular, that we might look into the darkest moments of Joseph's life and clearly note one objective truth. There is nothing, no degree of trial or hardship that can separate God's people from his presence and from his steadfast love. I think this is the enduring reality that does stand firm, that we keep falling back on amidst all of our own emotions and doubts and confusions. It really can feel like our trials are stretching us to the point that we might break. But I keep being reminded in my own suffering, in those very places, that's where we can know our God is not callously breaking us, but instead remaking us in the image of Christ. In those hard places, he's causing us to look beyond ourselves, look beyond the things we tend to cling to, and instead look up. Look to see what's eternally true, what's proven at the cross. Our Savior has forever secured our position within His steadfast love and favor through His own victory over sin and death. So as we turn into chapter 40, we see that now some time has passed and Joseph still remains imprisoned in the king's prison. In yet another move of God's providence evident, two of the king's direct servants, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, are imprisoned where Joseph is confined. And then Joseph is appointed to attend them. Once again, we see the Lord who is with Joseph is the Lord who is above all things. And he positions Joseph in proximity to an officer who has direct connection with the very king of Egypt. Now, in verse 5, we see that they've been in custody together for some time. And each one, the cupbearer and the baker, they have a dream on the same night. And the next morning, when Joseph goes to attend them, he notices that they're upset. And then he makes a point to ask them what is troubling them. They tell that they've had dreams, but they're upset because they don't have access to somebody who could interpret them. But at this point, Joseph humbly proclaims, Don't all interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. I think that's such a glimpse into Joseph's faith in the one true God. His own trajectory into this prison began with two dreams that seemed to represent his family bowing before him. And how far is his current status in this prison away from that initial picture? And yet, here Joseph expresses confidence that his God is the one God who is above all things. And if he grants a dream, Joseph can trust him to grant the wisdom to interpret it accurately. So they share their dreams with Joseph. And as he hears them, he offers his interpretation to the cupbearer. He explains that his dream is depicting his restoration to Pharaoh's service in three days time specifically But to the baker, Joseph explains, his dream represents his execution by Pharaoh in three days' time. Joseph is so confident in the interpretation that God has granted him that he tells the cupbearer, remember him when he is restored to Pharaoh's service, that Pharaoh might release him from this unjust imprisonment. In verse 15, we see a very succinct but poignant summary of Joseph's tribulation. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. 
So as we turn in to verse 20, we see another confirmation yet again that the Lord, who controls all things, is in fact with Joseph. The interpretations that Joseph gave, they were fulfilled down to the detail. Just as Joseph said, the cupbearer, an officer with direct contact with Pharaoh, was in fact restored to his position. That must have been such a great but then also confusing encouragement to Joseph as he is waiting for his own dreams to be fulfilled in the middle of such long-suffering. Now, with Joseph's innocence and his request ringing in our ears, when he says, Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house, we long to see his request granted. Instead, we close this chapter with the weight of another sobering failure that prolongs Joseph's sufferings. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. It's really a haunting close. We all know there's such great pain that comes from being forgotten, even in the small things. How much greater would that be to be forgotten in a desperate situation by the one man who has the knowledge and connection to help you? But perhaps this phrase hits us the hardest because we know what it's like to see enduring hardship and wonder if the Lord has forgotten us in them. Our God does not despise our lament and our grief and our crying out for his help. And it's in that space where our Father gently lifts our eyes from our current hardship and fixes them on him in his eternal word. Perhaps you are crying out with God's afflicted people, like in Isaiah 49 when they say, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. What is our Lord's response to his covenant people then? He says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Our covenant-keeping God promises his remembering is not an indifferent awareness that we still exist, but is instead a compassion that exceeds the most tender of human relationships. And how infinitely is this displayed and proven for us forever in His Son's blood poured out to deliver His people from slavery and the chains of sin and death. And this brings us to our final principle. In Christ, we can know that God remembers us in our suffering. Where has your waiting left you wondering if God has forgotten you? How is he anchoring you in his sovereignty throughout this study of Genesis? In his assurance that he not only remembers you in your trial, but that he has ultimate authority over it and he will use it in ways that grow you, that glorify Him. If you are in Christ, no matter what form your suffering takes, all of it must bow to the redemptive, restoring, remaking purposes of the Father for you. Nothing can separate you from His love. Nothing can stop the power of the Holy Spirit from producing fruit, even in your weakest or darkest moments. 
Now, as I've traced the Lord's presence with Joseph and his enduring trials, I've started thinking back to some of my own, and maybe you are too. Some of the places that made it easy for me to wonder, has God forgotten me in this? Is he really with me? How will I endure this indefinite pain? One such memory takes me back to a hospital bed where I had been for weeks after a chronic illness had just hit rock bottom and my health was spiraling. A nurse of mine came in one day, and she was extremely distraught because she had just been diagnosed with the same disease that I have, and another patient who shares the same condition and is in a really bad spot, he had told her in a lot of bitterness, well, good luck to you, your life is over. Now, in the depth of my own valley, I certainly didn't feel like I could be a beacon of hope for her, but as she finished our conversation, she said, well, I'm really glad I met you. Because I look at you and I think, see, her life's not over. I was stunned by that comment. On the surface, my, much of my previous life and my health, it, it was seemingly over. It was kind of a dismal situation. And I kept thinking, how can she see hope and life in this place? What is she seeing? And... There's really only one reality that could have allowed that nurse to see those things as she cared for me in the pit. The Lord was with me. And His Spirit grants His blessing and His fruit even in the depths of our weakest moments. Some of that moment, some of, the, some of those moments will look like joy or peace that surpasses understanding. Some of those moments will look like being bowed down under the weight of sorrow, and yet still knowing I cannot understand all of this brokenness, but I'm crying out to the God on, who promises me that he will be with me. That is no small victory of faith. He's honored as we cry out to him, even when we're in the depths of things that we can't understand. And while you might feel often alone or forgotten in your suffering, suffering that no other human can really truly understand or imagine, know that Jesus, your great high priest, he can. Those are the moments where you find fellowship with your suffering Savior. You find him kneeling down beside you under his own weight of sorrow in the garden, knowing that he's not only shared that very suffering that you're tasting, but that he bore it to an infinite degree so that you would not be crushed under it, but instead have that certain hope of eternal life in his presence, in his presence forever separated from sin and suffering. Until that day, friends, know that with Joseph that the Lord is with you. He is today, he will be tomorrow and forever. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that you would continue to sow these truths deep into our hearts, that they would take deep, deep root, that when the waves and drought and struggle of pain and suffering crash upon us, that we will have your certainty of your spirit testifying to us that you are with us. You will never forget your people, that you are working for your glorious good purposes and your plans for redemption to bring them to fulfillment. Thank you that you secured us uh, in your hand. I ask that you would strengthen your people as they continue to seek your face. 
It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us next time on Zoom on Monday, March 29th at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapters 41 and 42. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.